This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. What's the focus on BFM 89.9, The Business Station? 9.36 in the morning, you're listening to The Morning Run. I'm Shazana Mukhtar with Philip C. and Chong Jen Sun. This is WTF, or What's the Focus? Our weekly roundup show of the top stories this week and other news tidbits that you may have missed. If I could ask you gentlemen to sum up the week, I suppose, in one word, how, how would you, what word would you G15. <laughs> probably right. Easy one. What else Easy is there? Right? What about World Cup? What World Cup? Well, you know, I think that's a very interesting point because, you know, G15 coincides with many things that are actually ending and beginning. We were talking about COP27 yeah. closing uh, tomorrow. World Cup taking place the day after. So perhaps those losing candidates from G15, they want to drown their sorrows. They perhaps can watch those football matches there. We will have football to distract us from any uh, woes or, or you yes. know morose feelings post-G15. Uh, but let's focus our discussions first on what's happening on the international front. G15 is what we've been looking at locally. But uh, internationally, I, the, the acronym or the phrase or word is G20. So we did see leaders of the world's biggest economies convene been in Bali this week for the G20 Summit. And we've been talking about this event for quite a while, I think, yeah. since the beginning of the year, since February, when the war in Ukraine broke out. Everyone has been talking, oh my gosh, how will the G20 Summit take place now that um, Ukraine and Russia are both at odds and how will everyone else position themselves? Did you find it funny that uh, I think President Zelensky was addressing them on the video stream and he referenced them as G19? It was a very pointed comment. It indeed. was indeed. Indeed. And um, the Russia wasn't represented by President Vladimir Putin. He was represented by his foreign minister, Sergei Lavrov. But based on the reports, um, it did feel it did seem like the Russian delegation was somewhat isolated from the other international attendees. I think people are just really wary of they're not really sure how to engage with um, a country that is l- broadly seen as causing the invasion of another sovereign country. And we had Boon Nagara on the call quite recently. He's an honorary research fellow of the Para Academy. And his view is that it's too early to call for a reset of ties between C and Biden. But it certainly looked like warmer relations and a stabilization of ties. You really have to nitpick and choose your words really carefully, right? That is very, very true. And um, of course, Jensen, you're talking about that bilateral meeting between President Joe Biden and President Xi Jinping. It's the first in-person meeting since 2017. And tensions between you and China have just been so... Uh, tense. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, tensions have been tense. Indeed. Hi, tensions have been tense, and I have to say though, I think uh, good good meeting though because they I think did de-escalate the tensions quite a bit. I think even uh, Secretary Blinken is going to head over to Beijing. I think to continue this. So it was very good to see this face to face because President Biden and President Xi had a relationship before both were leaders for their respective uh, countries. That's right, and the body language of was was also interesting to watch. I I was particularly taken by the fact that President Xi was actually smiling and looking really friendly uh, with President Joe Biden, I guess in contrast to other uh, photo ops that he had, for example, with the Japanese um, Prime Minister. And the Canadian Prime Minister, Justin Trudeau. That was a very uncomfortable situation where you saw them caught 
of God as president. She was trying to lecture, I think, Prime Minister Trudeau about norms and how you kind of cooperate and work together and collaborate. They were referring to leaks from a conversation that they yes. had, I think. Uh, but yes, these are all the um, uh, encounters that you get to see on the sidelines of high-level meetings as such. Um, there was another a video of uh, Emmanuel Macron, the French president, walking on the street um, and being accosted by a baby. Somebody passed him his baby and he was awkwardly holding the baby in the air. I thought that was quite oh amusing. Oh my goodness, enough <laughs> of the babies. <laughs> All right. Uh, well, we'll be keeping an eye on what happens um, with these high-level discussions moving forward. Another international event um, that also overshadowed the G20, of course, was what was happening over in Ukraine. Because while all these leaders were in a room together discussing, mm. um, Russia launched a series of missile attacks across Ukraine. One explosion, one missile actually landed in the border between Ukraine and Poland, uh, killing two Polish uh, residents there. That caused quite a stir at the G20 summit. But wasn't there also a purported Ukrainian missile that accidentally went into Polish borders? Is it, that true or not? It later came out yeah. that that was the likely scenario. Initially, there was just a lot of uncertainty. And I think um, the attention was uh, people were looking at Russia. But uh, even the US, the, all the uh, Western countries have come out to say that it was likely um, originating from Ukraine. Um, so, yeah, again, this is all exemplifying the confusion that comes up in the wartime. Yeah, I guess it will all become clear once all the investigations are completed. But one thing is already quite stark that a war between a nuclear-armed Russia and NATO could be only a one miscalculation away. Mm. And I think separately, I've also read that the International Atomic Energy Agency will send nuclear safety and security mission officers within the coming weeks to three nuclear plants in Ukraine, as well as to the Chernobyl site from the beginning of the war in Ukraine, the International Atomic Energy Agency has been doing everything it can to prevent a nuclear in accident. That's why I was very struck, you know, when they had this talk about Poland, you know, having that missile and Poland being part of NATO. There was a very immediate response from President Biden saying that it probably wasn't from Russia. Because I think there was this really concerted effort trying not to escalate the tensions very, very much so. Because if you kind of let it linger and on, I think it could escalate very fast. So I think... People recognize that issue of how you say, right, it's just a simple miscalculation. So it's very important that, you know, global leaders quickly address it, nip in the bud and say, hey, watch out, let's just do the investigations first. And um, other developments related to um, the war in Ukraine, uh, or not really related, but it I think some people are making the argument that um, back in 2014, when the MH17 plane mm. was downed by uh, a stray missile um, from Ukrainian separatists, uh, allegedly, um, we now know that um, the ne Netherlands court has found three men guilty of um, causing the uh, causing the the plane to plane, crash. Yeah. Um, and a lot of people are saying if the world had maybe paid attention to what was happening back in 2014, um, when we already saw uh, eastern Ukraine um, facing these uh, conflicts, if the world had acted then, maybe we wouldn't have seen the outbreak of the war in Ukraine now. But um, yes, uh, hindsight is always 2020. Um, turning our attention perhaps to other developments that have rocked uh, the crypto space. I think everyone's still kind of, um, how to say, dealing with the fallout from the collapse of FTX. Yes. They did file for bankruptcy last Friday after a whirlwind week and reportedly they owe creditors and customers as much as $8 billion US dollars. I mean, this was an immediate fall from grace and I was just listening to a podcast on Sam Bankman-Fried, I think the owner of FTX and how, you know, this very young 
millennial, 30-year-old, I think really rose from the ashes and became the darling of the crypto space, really becoming a pseudo-celebrity, very much loved. And just, I think, through these miscalculations or, you know, reporting uh, kind of uh, missteps taking place, I think this fall for grace just really startled the markets. And that's why even though people think that the fundamentals of crypto are still intact, uh, this fallout of FTX has long-term repercussions. Indeed, and it's interesting to see how many big names have um, fallen foul of this. You, yeah. You've seen several investors announcing that they'll be writing down their investment to zero, and this includes names like Sequoia Capital and even Tomasi down south. Yeah, we were talking with Chowning yesterday. That on the flip side, if a government sovereign fund or a pension fund were not to invest in the crypto space or even FTX for that matter, and it turned out to be a winner, which it was at one point in time, it will also receive a similar criticism. So I guess it's all about diversification, the sizing of investments and having more winners than losers. Understand in terms of the exposure to Tamasit's portfolio, it is something like 0 0.09 it or something. It is a small point, but I guess for you know, a sovereign wealth fund, it does beg more scrutiny, isn't it? Would you expect them to have a more conservative stance? I guess, as we discussed yesterday, due diligence, that's always the key. You need to be able to show that due diligence was done yes. and really back up why you made um, that decision. Um, and yeah, this is something that uh, is going to continue to have ripple effect across markets. Yeah, there, there was some recent news also coming up from Binance CEO Chang Peng Sao, and he actually gave a bit more clarity on why he rejected this deal. And he said, to be very clear, Bankman Fried actually, Bankman Fried actually came to him and he knew he was yes. desperate and a bunch of people actually passed on the deal prior to that and when he was pushed and asked whether he thought that he was Bankman Free was actually a criminal uh, Chow actually said that he would leave that to the judgment of people but he said he knew there have been lies and there have been misappropriation of people's funds which he described as fraud very interesting because, you know, b these guys are actually uh, arch enemies. They were actually battling out on Twitter as they kind of posted. <laughs> yes, so right. as, as they were trying to close the deal and then suddenly it fell apart, you actually saw Bangman Free actually kind of, you know, push out this missive to say, well, play Chow, you know, I think for kind of yes, uh, right. playing him along essentially throughout this whole process. So I think there's a lot of bad blood between these two players. But I think Chow also, I presume, wanted to do this deal to kind of create some stability in the market, no? I think so. I was listening to um, the podcast by The Journal on this issue, and they were saying about how uh, if one crypto exchange falls, that's it's like the aviation it's a, sector. Yeah, it's in a dominoes. A yeah, so it's in the interest of all to maintain stability. Uh, Binance loses out because of FDX as well. Um, but in any case, we'll be following this story moving forward. 9.47 in the morning, we're going to head into some messages. We'll come back with a look at the political recaps of this week, all about GE15, of course. Keep it here, BFM 89.9. 9.48 in the morning. Thanks for staying tuned to The Morning Run. You're listening to WTF or What's the Focus, our weekly recap show. I'm Shazana Mokdar with Philip C and Chong Jen Sun. Now, in this half of the show, we typically look at what's happening in our local news front. Of course, it's all about GE15. And one of those headlines that comes out uh, is uh, the news about um, Malacca Disneyland. I think this is one of those announcements made in the hype of GE15 <laughs> campaigning. There was news that um, uh, ASEAN would get its first Disneyland in Malacca. Um, and uh, some people really ran with this story. Totally makes sense. After Paris, after Tokyo, after Shanghai, what's next? Malacca. And uh, I think what's been clear <laughs> is that uh, it has come, it's definitely clear that this is fake news. Yes. Um, journalists have checked in with Disney's side uh, and they have they also have said that. They have refuted the claims. Exactly. I think it's interesting about, you know, how 
people, I think, try to, you know, sell to the electorate about how they're trying to amp up the, their location. And I guess Disneyland is a great brand and perhaps that's why they're trying to kind of, you know, amp up all this fabrication. So it's very good that I think all this was slapped down very fast. Apparently, Disneyland has actually some conditions in terms of strict temperature and clim- climate uh, conditions. So having it in a non-temperate uh, country, I think it's probably a bit... Um, not believable. <laughs> I agree. I, it would be hard for, I suppose, um, a Snow White or Sleeping Beauty to look uh, consistently perfect if they're also sweating and handling. I see. Is that the why? Heat? That's, is that why they were doing Gunting at the and on the Highlands and such? The theme parks were being considered there. Universal Studios. You might have a point, unless they enclose it like something like they like do a in dome. Singapore. Yeah, but I think it'll be <laughs> far too expensive. I think so. The cost doesn't make sense. Well, in other uh, GE15 related news, tell me, gentlemen, what uh, are you keeping? An eye on, I suppose, this uh, this season. What have been some of your uh, key highlights of campaigning over the past two weeks? I mean, I think, you know, we've been having so many interviews uh, on BFM. And I have to say, I really loved yesterday's interview with the Batu candidates um, on on what their pitch was, essentially. And also prior to that, also, I really loved the interview that took place with Kari Jamaluddin, the candidate uh, for BN for Sungai Bolo. I think they're very interesting perspectives. And it got me thinking a lot about the quality of the candidate because I went into the election thinking that it was all about the leader. It's all about the the, who's going to be the prime minister. But perhaps that will be the case, you know, as we kind of, you know, create the next government. But now I think in in many people's minds, it's the quality of the candidates on the ground. And that's why you're seeing so many discussions about, you know, will Kyrie take over and win Sungai Bolo for Barisa National? Will we see this independence in Batu be spoiler votes for Pakadan Harapan? I think, yeah, if you missed that uh, mini debate, which is what we tried to do, it was a first for us here on the morning run. Yes. Um, you can look up that podcast on the BFM app. It's titled Rock Stars of Batu. Take it on. Get it? Rock Stars Batu. Oh, you're terrible <laughs> with puns. It was just. your pun. Actually, no, it wasn't. This was Wong Xiaoning's pun. But uh, we did speak to Siti Kasim, uh, Tian Chua, and also P. Prabhakaran. And uh, thanks very much to them for being game um, to try out yes. this new format. Um, and we hope that this this is something that becomes more of the norm. We have seen this election season politicians refusing to debate, uh, saying perhaps, oh, it's not really part of our culture. But I think there is always room for civil, um, substantive uh, discourse uh, among candidates uh, in order for people to actually be clear about what it is that you stand for. For sure. And I have personally actually seen and been actually to these kind of for- forums where, where candidates state their positions. Yeah, I think as a candidate, um, what is the balance between doing social media, doing TikToks or YouTube, uh, Facebook um, versus, say, being more on the ground, connecting with people? And I think some politicians actually do both very well. Some do one and some probably a little less of of, of both. Yeah, And I guess what works in some constituencies may not work in some other constituencies as well. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense if you have a diverse constituency and especially the point that, you know, especially in the semi-urban rural constituencies beyond the Klang Valley, you know, those a lot of the voters are actually still working in KL. They're working in the major city centres. So how are you engaging them? So it's really the strategy in terms of how do you reach out to these disparate voters who are not local in your location, right? And because now with Undi 18, 40%, 
increase in voters, I presume the out-of-location voters actually weigh in significantly. And perhaps that's why the strategy has been that dual strategy of digital, reaching out to all these unaffected voters, as, as well as, you know, I think being having good ground game to kind of address the local uh, population there. Another interesting trend to um, watch during this GE15, as it was during GE14, but it's really how um, overseas voters, those who are doing their postal votes, how they've come together to really make sure that their ballots come back in time. We saw this last time in GE14, and there were a lot of movements um, helping people to bring their ballots back. There was also a lot of complaints last time about how ballots came late. We do see that uh, happen this time around as well. Um, It's it's. Noteworthy that we are seeing more postal voters, overseas postal voters this time around because the conditions have been relaxed. And now voters in Singapore and neighboring countries are also allowed to do a postal vote. And so I'm hoping that moving forward, we're going to see the system for overseas balloting and postal votes be strengthened, you know, be made more efficient, uh, be less, uh, how to say, uh, not heart-wrenching, less... Less, Ang- not, not, not much anguish. Yes, less, less anguish. anxiety, yeah. you know, more certainty, more clarity. Because obviously with Undi 18 as well, a lot of these overseas postal voters are the young students uh, studying abroad who want to exercise their right for the first time. So what happens then when, you know, we expect the elections to be very close, you're going to see fragmented votes, the margins are going to be thin. These postal votes are going to count. Indeed. I think they're going to make a lot of difference. And that's why the whole point about turnout of elections is actually very, very important. Because I think many, if you talk to many of the pundits, there is really, I think for this election, regardless of the polls, there's no clarity about who the victor will be. And even if there was a largest party, that doesn't naturally translate to who will be, you know, in Putrajaya. So hence why the votes count, the margins will be very close, I suspect. And that's why it's very important for every one of us to participate tomorrow. Absolutely. And speaking of not being sure what the outcome is going to be, earlier on the Breakfast Grill, you had this discussion with a panel of experts, Philip, in terms of what can we expect on election night? Will we know the results um, right away or will it take some time? I think Trisha Yeo, CEO of Ideas, thinks that this could be several days worth of negotiations as parties try to come up with a coalition that can stick and get the majority. Um, So that's something to watch and also what parties are saying in terms of who they want to partner with. I think three very important considerations. A, the voting is closing later, right? Instead of 5, it's 6 p.m. B, you're having much more voters coming in through the La Salurans. Hence, the voting will take longer. And then C, you've got, you know projected floods and even bad weather. So I think that will even slow the vote. So the expectation is that you may not even see a very clear result on the night of election. And that as she was saying, right, the whole process of appointing the government could take a week or so. That actually struck me. That's something to watch, something to see if that happens. It's quite unusual in our Malaysian politics, I think. It's been so much so that we know the government pretty much immediately. uh, Speaking of coalitions, um, everyone talks about GPS being the kingmaker. But for me, I think what would be more interesting is what PAS will do. And will PAS broker its own coalition with BN without PN post-G15? And we have seen caretaker Prime Minister Ismail Sabri tried to take a jab at uh, Tan Sri Muhyiddin Yassin and said that PAS, as the older political party, should review its uh, 
coalition with Perkatan National after being censored by the coalition chairman Tan Sri Mudin Yassin. And he said that PAS is a bigger party and it was formed earlier than Bersatu. So PAS should be dominant and have its own power. Very Ooh. interesting. Oh, I think this is very interesting about the dissent taking place within Perikata National. I mean, we see the dissent at BN. We know the dissent at PH, right? But, you know, just a slight correction. You know who the real kingmaker here is? the voters this time. <laughs> Absolutely, Phil. <laughs> Very much so. And just a quick note, if you're feeling anxious about whether we'll end up with the Hong Parliament or whether we don't know the government for, you know, we won't, won't, won't know the government for a few days, there are a couple of op-eds that you can read to just get a better idea of how the process goes. Uh, there's a commentary by uh, Dr. Wong Chin Huat, the political scientist from Sunway University, on what a Hong Parliament could look like. Um, it's not something that we need to dread, he says. It's all part of the maturing of coalition yeah politics, coalition democracy. And there's also a commentary from Tommy Thomas uh, in The Vibes talking about uh, how the Prime Minister will be appointed post-GE15. Both very instructive in terms of how the law operates. Uh, so look those up online. It's 9.58 in the morning. That's all from The Morning Run on WTF. We would like to wish all Malaysians happy voting and remember to tune into BFM uh, from 6pm tomorrow as we cover the unfolding results of GE15 and you can also follow us on our BFM app or on the social media platform of your choice. We'll be on Facebook and YouTube as well. Uh, we're heading into the 10am News Bulletin and then it's over to Enterprise. Stay tuned, BFM 89.9. What's the focus on BFM 89.9, The Business Station? You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.